Now we're going to look at Acts chapter number 3, verse number 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. In our study of Acts, I have, uh, I've kind of, I don't know if I've told you this to you, but I've tried to, I've tried to name this. I'm terrible and non-creative. You can ask my wife, but, um, but I've tried to name this series and name each part of it. And what I've named it based upon our first study, the first uh, time we looked at, at Acts in this study is the continuing works of Christ. The continuing works of Christ. And that's kind of what we saw in the book of Acts, how that the Lord is still working just by means of the Spirit of God in the apostles in the early church in, in the book of Acts. So what we're going to do is in this study, we're going to look at this, uh, ex- this example or this uh, event that uh, takes place uh, right after Pentecost. All right, so Acts chapter 3, verse number 1. I actually accidentally turned to Romans, so let me get back to Acts. Here we go. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. All right, let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity again to study your word, for your church to come together. Lord, we do pray for those that can't be here. We ask your blessing upon them. Your grace would be upon them. And if they're listening, Lord, to to the message, that you would strengthen and help them just as you would strengthen and help your people here that are present. Well, we pray for those as well, Lord, your protection upon those that are traveling that can't be with us for that reason. We pray that you'd give them grace and and protect them. And uh, Lord, we pray as we look in your word, Lord, we need your help. Lord, please open our eyes of understanding. Help us, Lord, to look in your word with, with humbleness, with meekness, with desire to understand. Lord, help us to put away all distractions and uh, satanic devices that are, that are designed to keep our minds away from you and away from the, what, what you have put in your word for us. I pray that the truths that we study today would be evident, would be clear, and that each one of us would receive them. Lord, help me, Lord, and put in my mind and heart and mouth the things that you would have me to say to help your people. And we, uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in, in, in verse number 1 of Acts chapter 3, 
Peter and John are going up into the temple. And this relates to chapter 2 because verse number 43 says, and fear of chapter 2 says, and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now, I don't, uh, there's no indication, and we will see this later, but there's no indication that Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and Simon and, and all the rest of the apostles that we've already studied, there's no indication that they carry on, carried on a healing ministry. As we'll see in chapter 3, maybe tonight, that the healing that they performed was not the main event. The healing that they performed were, were, were designed to draw attention and confirm the main event, which actually is, although we do not have the power to heal, and it's not that I don't believe God can heal people, God can heal people, but the problem is, is so much of what is portrayed as healing in Christianity, there's no way to verify any of it. It's just, it's basically these days, it used to be Channel 16, it used to be what, what, was, what was on the TV. Now, anybody, any, any guy, any, any, any person, we have no idea. Who was I talking to last night, about, yesterday about this? I was talking to Brother Ari maybe, or uh, maybe at the prayer breakfast. You know, when, when, you, when you see things on, the, on TV, on, on the internet, be careful. No, be skeptical. <laughs> be skeptical. Because anybody can put anything on the internet they can, they can have a person holding a cell phone and performing for that. I saw, I remember one, um, not too long ago, I saw a, uh, it, it, was, it was hilarious, but I saw a person was taking a cell phone video on a beach. It was like, it was like in, the, in the winter time, so everybody was fully clothed. But it was taking a cell phone on the beach of uh, the, uh, a, climate, a climate activist, uh, an environmental activist. There were two people down near the beach by the water, and the beach was obviously kind of dirty because you could tell because there was like trash and things. But So this person taking the video was far away from the water. But they had their cell phone going just recording what was happening. And here's what was happening. This person, uh, probably on TikTok, this person and the person with them, the, the photographer, they were, they were taking, the one was taking videos of this, this girl picking up trash and putting it into a black trash bag down by the water at the beach. And they were videoing it and went on and went on. And so this person is recording this whole scene from a distance. And then whenever, uh, whenever they got finished with their recording, the people picking up the trash, they packed their, they got their book, their little book bag, their little backpack, and they, uh, they got all their stuff together and they walked off the beach and left the bag of trash on the beach. And this was all on video. They walked away, the bag of trash sitting there. What is, why did I say that? Be skeptical. The internet is full of trash that is fake. It's all fake. And I say that because any Tom, Dick, or Harry can record anything they want, stays run stage, and put it on the internet, healing services, this and that and the other, and there's no way for you to know the reality of it. There's no way for you to know the reality of it. In Cambodian, they say, don't have white ears. Don't be naive. Be a little bit skeptical. This is why this is important. Because you don't see healing ministries here. If you see this man here in verse number 11, everybody knew him. Everybody had seen him. His, his history, his past was evident. That's why it mattered. 
That's why it was so effective. Because no one could deny that this man had been laying at this temple gate for, this, for, for a long period of time and probably had given him money, probably had passed by him, probably had conversed with him. They knew that he was the real deal. You don't know that with the internet. Just be careful. Just be careful. The Bible does not say that God doesn't heal people. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say that God doesn't heal people. But if, if God's going to heal it, let's see it in the scriptural manner, right? Let's see it according to what the Bible says. Not, oh, I felt better a few days later after I went to the doctor. No, the scripture, immediate. This is what, this is what happens here. This is, this is scriptural here. So we're not, we're not, so many people that believe in that kind of thing, they believe in what, what's called healing ministries and things. They criticize us and they say, well, you don't believe God heals. False. False. We do believe God heals, but we do not believe that it is God's will that everybody be healed. And we also don't see any healing ministry in the Bible. What we see is sign gifts in which that healing is not the main event, but the confirmation of the main event, which is what happens in chapter 3. This pattern is exactly what you see in the book of Acts over and over and over. Now, in verse 1, Peter and John went up into, together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. Notice they're going to the temple. The temple, I, as I said, remember on Wednesday, I was trying to find that word, remember, uh, where they would meet because the temple, the temple grounds were huge. Temple grounds, some 35 or 36 acres. 30, my, my yard is, is almost half an acre, almost half an acre. It was 70 times the size of my yard. It was like my whole neighborhood. <laughs> Seriously. My whole neighborhood. This is an enormous, an enormous uh, ground. The church would meet in the temple, as we saw in chapter 2. And around the exterior, the, the edge of this temple ground, the, this temple courtyard, only the Jews were allowed in the courtyard. And inside the courtyard, on the edge, was a portico. This, in the Bible, it's called a porch. But it's basically a, basically a covered area. It's a covered area with colonnades, and you can walk along it, and you can, you can be out of the sun and out of the weather. And the church in Solomon's porch, that's what you read, the church would meet in Solomon's porch, where that, the Lord Jesus himself would teach in Solomon's porch. This is what's happening here. Peter and John are going into this temple. That's what it means. Not into the building, but into the compound, all right? At the hour of prayer being the ninth hour, that's about 3 p.m., now, this lame man, we know that in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he also healed people of various ailments, leprosy, lameness, various diseases, you know, bloody fluxes and fevers and devils and, and uh, even, even people that are lame like this. The Lord blind people. The Lord healed these people. And the healing was always, every time, without exception. It was visibly immediate. And usually behind it was a history where this person was known. And everybody knew them. So when he was healed, it was, it was a big deal. And in this case, you have a lame man. And, and even in the Lord's ministry, there are several examples, the most prominent of which is the healing of Bartimaeus, the blind man. And these, these events, although these events are real events, because they're in the Scripture, they often have, have secondary kind of applications and, and it, they serve as illustrations for other things. And that's what I want to point out today. 
Because this lame man and what happens to him, his experience, is, a, is if you want to say, a type or a representation or an illustration of what happens to a sinner who meets the Lord. And I'll show you what I mean in just a minute. And again, this is not the only place in Scripture where this, this uh, overlaps and you can see this, this comparison. So we're not going to look at the literal lame man and everything that happened to him at, at this time. We're going to look at the representation of it this morning. All right, verse 2. And a certain lame, a man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. So the first thing I want, you to, want us to see is that this man had an infirmity that had existed from the time he was born. You know what? That's a perfect description of you and me, of every man and woman, boy and girl, born of Adam. You say born of Adam, exactly. Our first father, Adam, not me, although my poor children, they also got it. But they didn't get it from me, thankfully. They got it from Adam, the first man. That's this, that's this sinful nature. This man was lame from his mother's womb. In other words, there had never been a day that he had lived on the earth in which he was not bearing this infirmity. It was, listen, it was a part of his being. He had never known a day where he had walked. And so it is with a sinner. And we'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk more about this in, a, in just a minute. But this, this infirmity existed from the time he was born, just like our nature, our wicked, sinful, ungodly nature that exists in every human being born into this world. Doesn't matter their age, doesn't matter if it's an infant, that nature is already present. That nature is already present. Anybody who has children can, can verify this fact. And see, here's, here's why this is important. And again, we'll get, get more to this, more about this in just a minute. But this world teaches that man is getting better and that his nature is not basically evil. But the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says very plainly that man is born not good, but evil. That man has a basic nature. His fundamental nature is broken, fallen, sinful. And that he has a magnetic draw towards sin and rebellion. That's what the Bible teaches very plainly. Just like this man was lame from his mother's womb, so we are born from our mother's womb with this nature. And then in verse number, uh, verse number two, we also see that his infirmity was a natural condition. This, is, this was not a result of something this man had ever done. His nature, again, he was born with it, his nature... This, you might say, deformity, although I, don't, I, I, I want to avoid that because that, that sometimes has negative connotations. But the fact that this man could not walk was something he had from his mother's womb. It was a natural part of his life. And it was not a result of a fall like in the case of Mephibosheth in the Old Testament. He fell and then was lame from then, but he had walked previously. This man was not that way. This was his natural condition. Now, hold your place here and look at Romans chapter 5, if you would. Verse 12. 
Let me explain something to you. What I'm about to read to you is basic, listen, basic Christian doctrine, basic Bible doctrine. And this is the foundation for our understanding of who we are as human beings. You have to understand this. You can't understand this. You can't understand why you need to be saved and how, what, what, what effect sin has had upon you until you understand this fact. All right, chapter, tw- chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world. That's Adam's sin in the garden, okay? And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Verse 13 is parenthetical. It says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. In other words, the law of Moses had not, had not been written yet, but yet there was still sin. Okay? Verse number 14 says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of, them, of him that was to come. So in other words, here's what it's saying. You did not sin the sin that Adam sinned, but yet death reigns over you. What are you talking about death reigns over me? You're going to die. And there's nothing in the world you can do about it. You know, that's a very dark thought, isn't it? But the fact of death, which no one disputes, is the evidence of sin, that it's there. So all these people say, well, I'm I'm a good person. You're going to die. That's the proof that, you're, that you're, you're basically broken. You're a sinner. That's what this is saying. Adam sinned, sin was passed, and death with it to everyone. You all know this. Verse number 15 says, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the, gra- the, grace, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. Now listen to this. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one's man, one man's offense, that's Adam, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in, in life by one Jesus Christ. So we end the parentheses and we go to verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Okay? Follow me now. Adam sinned. That nature from hit. See, here's what you have to understand. And you can see it in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam sinned. Which, it, listen, it's history, right? It's not, it's not figurative. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are historical. When Adam sinned, his nature changed. And you can see it in Genesis chapter 3. His relationship to God changed. That changed definitely. Before he was fellowshipping with God, now he's, as we studied in Sunday school, he's withdrawing from God. Before he approached God, now he was afraid of God. Definitely the relationship to God changed. But Adam himself also changed. And that's what we're looking at here. Adam became a sinner. His basic nature was corrupted. And because that was, listen now, because that was corrupted, Adam passed that on in his, in his descendants. That basic, in other words, God made Adam in his own image, and so Adam was perfect like God. 
But then when Adam sinned, his nature was changed. And the scripture says that Adam's son, Seth, not Cain and Abel, because we know they, uh, Cain killed Abel. But then Seth, the Bible says that Adam bore a son in his own likeness. So Adam passed his image that had been marred and corrupted to his son. And his son to his son. All the way down to you and to me. So we have that nature. And because we have that nature, it pulls us. It drives us. It it forces us and drags us into choices that are wicked. And thus, we as individuals are condemned. By our, not by the fact that we were born with a corrupt nature, but by the fact that we have chosen to transgress God's law. That's what verse 18 says. In the middle it says, Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men of the justification of life. For as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's you and me. The many were made, that's, that's me, that's you. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Look at chapter 7 real quick before we go back to Acts 3. Verse number 7, Romans 7, 7 says this. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said thou shalt not covet. Now listen to verse 8. But sin taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. That's a hard word. For without the law, sin was dead. Now verse number 11, again, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. What is he talking about sin? Sin doesn't do stuff, I do stuff. Sin doesn't, sin doesn't break God's law, I break God's law, right? Well, he says sin does it. What's he talking about? He's talking about that nature. See, what Paul is saying, and if you read it, it says it very clearly. Sin takes the occasion, and it drives us to violate God's law. Now go back to Acts chapter 3. Why am I saying all this? This man had never walked. He was lame, but that was his nature. Why had he never walked? Because he came out of the womb broken. You see, in the scripture, walking, walking is a, is a picture of one's life, one's choices, one's lifestyle. This man had never walked upright. He did not know how to walk. He couldn't. He couldn't walk. His nature prevented him from walking. And so it is with a person born into this world. So it was with me. I came into this world. I was broken from the moment I was born. And eventually, that's, that nature in me drove me to commit actual acts of sin volitionally. And I became personally a sinner, right? It messed up my walk. I couldn't walk after God anymore. My walk was corrupted. My choices were wrong. The things I wanted were wrong. And the decisions I made were wrong. And I was personally guilty. You understand? Because I had broken God's law. The Bible speaks of walking in truth, walking in light, walking in darkness, walking in lasciviousness. All these things refer not to physical walking with your legs, but but the way we live, whether living according to righteousness or unrighteousness, following sin or following the Lord. But here's the thing. Most people don't think that their condition is like this lame man. 
Most people don't consider their condition particularly alarming. You know why? In other words, I, what the, the, the condition of man that I just described to you, which is a scriptural truth, most people do not consider that to be, to, to apply to them 100%. They think that in them is some good. They think that they really have the ability to do some good things. They think they're not as bad as the scripture really describes, but you are. You are just as bad, just exactly as God says. And they, the reason they think that, because they look at some maybe the good things they do, and I'll show you that in just a minute. They look at some of the good things that they've done, some of the good acts. But listen, doing a good act, helping a person, changing a tire, whatever, that doesn't change your fundamental nature. And it certainly doesn't erase the transgressions of God's law for which you and I will all be held accountable. It doesn't erase the sin. It, there's no balance, heavenly balance where the good and the bad are put on either scale and, and, and whichever one outweighs the other is the one that is... The, no, 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 no. Sin, uh, good, good deeds do not erase the evil that we've done, nor does it change who we are, and that's the problem. We're just like this man, by nature broken, unable to walk right, unable to walk right. And we think, well, we think we're not really, that's not, that's not a big deal. Everyone around me is just like that. That's correct. That's because we're all in the same condition. We're all lame. For instance, if you went into a cell phone store, a cell phone repair store like the one I have at Cherrydale, as a little, the little cross, y'all have probably seen that. You go into a cell phone store and you look at all the cell phones on their work, workbench. The cell phone on the workbench, one's cracked, has a cracked screen, one screen the touch doesn't work, speaker's broke, microphone's broke, one the cell service doesn't work, Wi-Fi won't connect. The camera's broke, won't turn on. You know, you look at all these different problems and all the manifestations that these broke cell phones, but if you were the cell phone, you're like, hey, I'm just like everybody else. But you're in a cell phone repair store. They're all broke. They're all not as they were intended when they were created. They're all broke. That's the way people do. They look at everyone around them. Well, he does it and they do it and she does it. And she does it. I'm just like everybody else. That's because we're all broke. That doesn't change anything. That doesn't change anything. We all need repair. Furthermore, this man's infirmity was permanent. You know what? He would die with this infirmity. Except the Lord intervened. As we see here, he would die with his infirmity. What happens if you die as a sinner? That's what, if the Lord does not intervene in our lives, we die as, you might say, a lame sinner. One who could never walk right corrupted and broken, and we die to be judged by God for the works that we have done according to justice, just like this man. The Bible says, furthermore, in verse 2, he was carried. Notice that. He was carried. Wherever he went, he had to be carried there. In other words, he could go places. He could, in other words, he could, quote, walk but he couldn't use his legs. Other things had to, had to, had to uh, 
ambulate him. Is that the right word? I'm sure uh, Miss, Miss Aguilar could tell me. In other words, the only way he could move if somebody carried him. And I thought about this, and, you know, this is very similar to our life. You know, we look at ourselves and we think, well, we're not that bad because we do some good things here and there. Well, hold on. But why do we do those good things? You know, if you're driving down the road and you see the speed limit sign and there's a police officer behind you, why all of a sudden do you find it very easy to go the speed limit? You know why? Because the police officer is behind you. That examination kind of keeps your speed where it needs to be. Are you making a choice to do that? No. Why not? How do you know? Because the moment he turns off to go somewhere else, your foot gets heavier. Right? Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness? That's true. I, I, well, all I'm saying is I'm, I'm demonstrating. I'm demonstrating that there are things in our lives that keep us from being as wicked as we could be. <laughs> You might say it like that. For instance, we have a conscience, right? We have the government. We have police officers. We have law. You know, one, one, one big thing, one big thing that keeps, keeps, keeps us from sinning a lot more than we should is shame. Because we know if we did it and somebody found out, we would look really, really we would be so embarrassed. Just that keeps us from sinning. But that doesn't change our nature and it doesn't change our desire to do it. Why do some men not commit adultery against their wives even though they watch porn all the time? If you watch porn all the time, Jesus said, you have committed adultery already in your heart. Why don't you commit adultery? The actual act. You know why? It's not because you're a good person. It's not because your nature's any better. I mean, look at what you're doing. You know why? Because of shame. That keeps you from that. But let me ask you a question. If there was no shame and that was taken away, what would stop that same person who's watching porn all the time from committing adultery in, in, in action? Nothing at all. You know what? He would do it. He would do it. This, listen now. This is the nature of man. It is broke. It is wicked. And the testimony of that is what we do every day and what we would do if we had the opportunity. The fact that we're being forced to do right shows that if those buffers were not present, our real nature would come out. And you know what? There will be one day when that, those buffers, many of those buffers will be removed and it'll get really ugly. Notice also that this man was laid at the gate of the temple. He didn't go in the temple. He was laid at the gate of the temple. He couldn't go into the temple. And that's, that's, that's related to us as sinners, our condition. He was lame. He couldn't walk into the temple. So our condition does not allow us to approach God. We are, the Bible says in Ephesians, we are alienated from the life of God. We cannot just approach God willy-nilly like they think in modern cultural Christianity. Oh, well, I just, you know, live like the devil and I'll just ask God to forgive me. He's not forgiving you. Well, I don't really like that. God, that's not the way God works. You have to approach God on His terms. 
You have to approach God on His terms. This man just couldn't willy-nilly go into the temple anytime he wanted to. He was lame. And you know what? He's asking for alms. But did the alms help his condition? Somebody paid him, gave him a quarter, or gave him a dollar, or gave him a 20. It might have helped him that day, but does that change his position? Does that change his condition? No, his condition's exactly the same. See, that's, but here's the thing. That's exactly what people want. That's exactly what people want. They want to continue to love sin and indulge in it because they like it and it's pleasurable. But they just want, just want a, enough reprieve, enough satisfaction for this day, but they don't, wanna, they don't want to be fundamentally changed. They don't want to be different. They love sin. They want it. They want to wallow in it. And if they could, they would. And so they just look for that, that handout just, just to get them through the day. That's what I saw in Cambodia all the time. People would ask alms, you know, beggars. They would beg. They would Sometimes, it's, it's so crazy. Sometimes people would beg, and the moment that they got enough money for that day, they went home. If that was a, an hour or it took 10 hours, if in an hour they got their money, they were gone. You know why? Because they got money for that day. They wanted a temporary reprieve. His condition was hopeless. But notice in verse 3, who's seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asking alms. What are Peter and John doing in comparison to what the lame man is doing? They're walking. These two men know Jesus. These two men have been born again. These two men have the Spirit of God in them. These two men have eternal life. These two men have been transformed and their legs work. And so they are walking, and where are they going? They're going to meet God. You see that? They're going into the temple. They can approach God at will. Their walk is right because they have been transformed by the gospel. That's Peter and John. Now notice what verse 4 says. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, notice, expecting to receive something of them. What did the lame man want? Let me ask you that. When, Peter, when he looked at Peter and John, what was on this man's mind? Anybody? Huh? Money. Temporary reprieve. Never a thought in his mind. Never a thought crossed his mind. And when he, when he looked at Peter and John intently, he's like, maybe they're going to heal me. No, that's hopeless. You know, that, you know that's, that's, that's the way, well, everybody's like this. I'm always going to be like this. Everybody does, does, commits these sins. I'm always going to commit these sins. And, you know, that's just the, way it's, just the way it is. It, it didn't even cross his mind that his, uh, his condition would be, could be remedied. He just wanted one day's worth of money. And he had little regard for his permanent condition. And that's the way every person is. We're just thinking about right now and don't think about the future. Don't think about who I am. And, you know, if I meet God like this as a corrupt sinner, what's God going to do? No thought. We think if we just get some immediate pleasure, a little bit of joy, just a little bit of money, just that one little promotion, one little benefit, it's temporary. 
It doesn't do anything to change us. It doesn't do anything to alter our life at all to any degree. It's a brief joy and it distracts us from our permanent condition. But the problem is, eventually our life's going to end in that condition. In that condition, we're going to meet the judge of all the earth. Verse 6 says, And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. Peter and John have nothing to offer him in the way of temporary help. And you, in our comparison here, the picture, what do I have to offer somebody? I mean, as far as like fixing a broken man, a sinner who is condemned in sin, what do I have to offer such a man? Nothing at all. I can't fix him. I mean, I can give him psychology and it can maybe relieve his guilt and different things like that, but ultimately I can't help him. It'll be temporary at best. And it's definitely not going to change who he is. But he says in verse 6, But such as I have, give I thee. Here's the thing. Peter and John had something. Now they had no ability of themselves, but they did possess something that would help the man, and that's Jesus. Did you know that you have something that can help sinners? I have something that can help sinners. We don't think of it like that, but that's the truth of it. That can, there is something we possess in us that can actually heal a sinner. Right? Can change his nature. Can fix the man's brokenness from his mother's womb. And to fix his walk. Is that true or is that not? It's true. But notice Peter and John, he says in the name, verse 6, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Notice Peter and John do not heal the man. Jesus healed the man's infirmity. As I said, the servants of God, as servants of God, what power do we have to help anybody? We have none whatsoever. Just as Peter and John had no power to heal anybody. Jesus had power to heal. That's when it says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's an appeal to Jesus to do the work, right? Jesus is healing the man. Later in chapter 3, as we'll see later, in chapter 3, they actually disclaim and say, it is nothing to do with us. We have no power to do this. Jesus did this because he is alive. He rose and is ascended. That's what they say to him. Jesus used his people as instruments to exercise his power to heal men from their infirmity. You see, we are instruments. We are ambassadors for Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. That's our mouth talking in God's place. But notice verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Notice his his healing was immediate. It was not a growth process. It was immediate. You know, that's exactly what salvation is. When a person hears the gospel and trusts in Christ, that instant they are justified and made righteous in the sight of God. They are healed from their infirmity and they are, made, they are enabled at that very moment to walk with God. Now we know we still have the flesh, 
but yet we also have the spirit, the spiritual part of us is alive, that we can walk with God. You know what? All healing in Scripture, when you talk about miraculous healing, all, all healing in Scripture is immediate. There are a couple of examples in which means were used, but it's, when you talk about Jesus healing or the apostles healing, it's always immediate. There's no medicine. There's no time. It's immediate. So that only God can get the recognition. But notice this. Jesus heals this man. A picture of salvation. He, he took the apostles by the hand and they lifted him up. It wasn't him. The Lord is using, just like the Lord uses us to get the gospel to people. People respond to the gospel and we, as it were, lift them up. But it is God healing the legs. It is God forgiving the sin. It is God working, working a miracle in a sinner who is corrupted. And we lift them up. And what's the first thing he does? Verse 8, And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered into the temple. Entered with them into the temple. You notice that? The formerly lame man, before he couldn't walk, in other words, his life was messed up. His decisions were wicked because of he, was, he was corrupt from his, nature, from his nature. But now he's walking. He can walk right now. And what is he doing? He's walking. But where is he walking? The Bible says he stood and then he walked. And then he, where did he go? He went into the temple. He went to God. You see that? He has a relationship to God now. And now he has the ability to approach the Lord. Listen to these verses. Just for time, I'll read them. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Two verse 18 says, For through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Access. First chapter 3, verse 12 says this. For wrong chapter. In whom in Jesus we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Where'd this man go? He could finally walk, and how did he walk? He walked with God, walked into the temple. This, and furthermore, we see in, in, back in chapter 3, verse 9 says, or verse 8 says, he walked, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple. But how did he enter? Did he just enter kind of like this? How did he enter? He entered by walking and leaping and praising God because it was bubbling over. He, I'm sure, did not know exactly how what happened to him happened to him, but something had happened to him, and that's exactly what happens when someone puts their faith in Christ. We might not understand all the ins and outs and the mechanics and how the cogs turn to make what God does in us happen, but one thing does, just like, a, just like the, the blind man, he says, I don't know what he did, but I know that whereas I was blind, now I see God did something to me. Every believer ought to be able to say that. Every child of God who's been born again ought to be able to say, I don't understand how it happened, but I know God did something to me, fixed me. I can walk now. Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Other people noticed his walk changed. See that? Other people saw that now he could walk. Whereas before he was wicked, ungodly, 
He was just a sinner who loved sin. All of a sudden, he's doing things different. His doing of those things different doesn't save him. It's a result of his healing. Verse 10, And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. See, they knew his past, and now they see him doing something completely different than something he's ever done. And that makes them wonder. This is the testimony of many, many, many people who have believed on Christ and who have been born again, who have been made into new creatures. And as a result, their lives have changed. What they actually do and the way they walk is different. And people said, you know, I think of our, co- uh, our cousin, my wife's cousin, David Pepper. You know, one time when we were knocking on doors with our church, my wife and I, I don't know where we met, we, weren't, we were married already. We were knocking on doors and we knocked on the door of a man and he came to the door and we were trying to witness to him. And he said, you know, I got a friend who used to, you know, he used to go out and do all kinds of stuff, partying and stuff. And he's just been totally different. And my wife asked him, what's his name? Because it sounded familiar to her. And he said, David Pepper. She's like, that's my cousin. God had changed David Pepper, had saved David Pepper. You know what? His friends noticed, as it should be, his friends noticed. It was years later before my wife ever actually met him, right? Or had met him as an adult to tell him that story. And he's, oh, yeah, I know that guy. We used to do this and this and this. And I got saved and all that. You know, I sold my car and all this stuff. And that's what God did. Changed his walk. Enabled him to walk right. And lastly, verse 11. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. Notice, this formerly lame man, as soon as he could walk, he went into the temple. He can approach God. He has access to God. He has a relationship to God. Everybody's amazed at how his life has changed because they knew his past. And now, he's holding God's people. He's not letting them go. You know what he's doing? He is attaching himself to God's people. Ain't that just right? Just, is that not chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, verse 40, 41? They that gladly received his word were baptized and it was added unto them. Notice, added unto them. In other words, they got saved, they trusted in Christ, and then they came into the church, and they started loving each other and growing and increasing and multiplying together with God's people, which is the way it's supposed to be. He held on to these people who had given him the gospel. He held on to these people who knew God who also walked. He walked where they walked. So in this lame man which is a real event, we see an illustration, a good illustration, I would say, of all the, thing God's, God, all the things God does to a man, to a woman who puts their faith in Christ. How He changes them and enables them to walk, changes their, even their nature. Has God done that for you? Is this the testimony that you have in your life? It should be. Because... As we've already studied, this is the fellowship of the saints. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. We all have experienced the same thing in in major measure anyway. 
We all can, we all relate to the same things because it happened to us all. Has this happened to you? Let's pray.